This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Ultimately, the company found out what he was asking me to do, and they dropped him down a couple of levels and took him out of the leadership role that he was in. And I was given opportunities after that with the organization. Again, just because I stood up for what I thought was right, what what in my faith journey, I said, I need to operate with integrity. I need to operate honestly. And you know what? If that If that hurts me, I don't care. I have to do it because my faith demands it. Hey, welcome to Weekend of Workplace podcast. My name is Mark Grundon, and I'm your host. Today, I'm really excited for our conversation. We have a good friend of mine on the show. His name is Ron Kelleher. Ron has a storied 36-year career at Procter & Gamble, in which he was responsible for all marketing for ethnic grocery in the United States and for all marketing for the Safeway Corporation in the United States. Upon retirement, his career shifted focus to ministry leadership roles, specifically as a COO of a missions organization, as well as investing in the next generation of leaders, serving as an adjunct professor at Azusa Pacific University and leading his own organization called Inspired Leadership, where he provides leadership content um, at his website at ronkelleher.com. Currently, he, Ron serves with, with me uh, on the workplace ministry at Saddleback Church, and has been a great mentor of mine and a partner in this ministry. Ron, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Mark. I, it's really a pleasure and an honor for me to be part of the first season of the Weekend to Workplace podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. It's really, really great to have you here. You know, part of this, uh, the pleasure of me having this podcast is even with good friends of mine that I know so much about, it also provides me an opportunity to dig in <laughs> even more detail because, uh, yeah, I get to ask those questions today. Uh, you know, I'm so Ron, where I'd love to see this conversation go is really three parts. First, talking about your story, you know, your career journey, and really more of your background of what brought you to those executive roles uh, there at your company. Secondly, love to dig into more detail about, you know, the struggles. Work is oftentimes struggle seasons of difficulty and to see if there's any particular stories that you could share with us that, uh, that share that struggle or challenges in the workplace. And lastly, the, on the point that I'm calling your script, which is really talking about the integration of faith and work. And when we really bring our faith to the workplace, it changes things. It changes possibly the, the, what we work on or the, the way in which we do our work. And I, I like to think about it as like a new script is being written for us in the workplace. I'd love for <laughs> you to give some insight into that or uh, yeah, just to give us some advice of how we can become leaders and influencers there in the, the workplace that we find ourselves in. So yeah, right. looking forward to this. Your your 36 year career at P&G really is a rare thing. It's amazing, but it's a rare thing for people nowadays because they move around so much from company to company. And I love to begin, before we start looking at your background, to really look at those final years of leadership um, at, at P&G and for you to give us a little bit more insight what, that, what those marketing uh, roles were for you and to help us understand what that looked like. Sure, absolutely. So out of the 36 years, the first 15 years were spent in the sales department. I moved five times in the first 10 years of my career for different assignments. But then the last 21 years were all in kind of a specialized group of roles uh, that were 
kind of creatively designed by P&G because, you know, a, a lot of people realize that and, and recognize that P&G is a marketing powerhouse uh, in our brand marketing department. But P&G decided to try out the idea of creating a marketing arm that was specifically designed to help our retail customers do a better job of marketing in general and specifically marketing our own products. So I got involved in a couple of special projects. Uh, one was on the West Coast uh, for what we called efficient consumer response. And that was uh, trying to figure out how we can develop our products and move them all the way through the channels of distribution to our consumers most effectively and all the way to the consumer's home. So that project uh, started out just being in Los Angeles for uh, about nine months, and I had some success doing that. So th within about a year, they ended up making me the guy that was responsible for the Western U.S., had some success with the Western U.S. in that role. And then they ended up uh, expanding this idea of creating a marketing arm that would help our retail consumers. So because I'd been in this other role and I got to know a lot of the senior executives at our major customers in the Western US, P&G asked me to take on a role of doing marketing for retail customers. And that's when I got involved in that role. And that ended up being the last 20 or so years of my career in a, in a number of different marketing assignments. So uh, I had uh, a lot of uh, ethnic marketing experience because I'm living in Los Angeles and we have over 50% of the population of Southern California is ethnic. And I had some success reaching the audience in Southern California. So they asked me to do it on a national scale, helping our retail grocery, our major chains, do a better job of reaching our ethnic consumers. And so that was the back half of my career. And honestly, it was the most fun I ever had. It meant I was on the road a lot. I had uh, an office in, in Cincinnati. Uh, an office in uh, in San Antonio uh, where where one of our major customers was uh, and ultimately I visited uh, our agency in New York on a regular basis and then all of our brand marketing folks for ethnic marketing for Hispanic marketing were in Puerto Rico so I was flying around the country on a regular basis uh, if if I missed a flight out of LAX on uh, Monday morning Delta would call and ask if I was still okay because I was traveling about 40 weeks of the year either Monday through Wednesday or Tuesday through Thursday kind of thing so it was it was a lot of fun but it did uh, it created a little bit of a challenge for my bride because she ended up being the you know the leader of the household because I was traveling an awful lot. 40 weeks out of the year is an awful lot. So yeah. Yeah. That's a, you're, you're how many years into what's, what's your upcoming anniversary this, this coming year to show that you have gone the distance despite all those years of travel. Yeah. Well, it's not due to me. It's my wife's staying power. We were married in 1980. So it's 43 years now. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. And yeah, today she keeps renewing my contract, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> uh, that's fun. You're, uh, I think today, I mean, the way that we term, uh, you know, the different demographics, I think, changes over time. So back in PNG, what, 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 what was the year that you left PNG? Uh, I left in 2009, June of 2009. Okay, so 
about 15 years ago or a little less than that. We, we would have labeled it ethnic marketing then and maybe now different different terms that we have. So it's just interesting how, you know, the the labels that we, we, we give different demographics change over time. But it's really amazing that you were able to give, yeah, to, to lead the marketing efforts in those ways um, at such a, a large scale. Yeah. Today they call it multicultural marketing um, to represent the fact that it is now broader. It, the marketing arm of P&G is now looking at a much broader group of multicultural uh, ethnic, more than more than what we would consider to be ethnic marketing, but multicultural marketing. Oh, that's great. That's I love to, now that we get a picture of that, I'd love to go back to the very beginning and to just to know where you grew up. Sometimes when people see or they want to aspire to roles that were similar to what you were able to to lead and to serve in at your company, um, you know, people have a, it's just really interesting to see where people come from. You know, did they <laughs> have like, where was, what kind of background does somebody uh, have that would lead them into uh, opportunities like that? So I'd love to hear, yeah, where, where did you grow up? Did you have a, a large family, a small family? Um, and yeah, what, what began to lead you into, uh, you know, business and particularly business marketing? Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Spokane, uh, Washington. So it's on the uh, eastern side of the state, uh, butting up right up against the Idaho border. Uh, I'm an only child. We were pretty pretty poor family. I mean, we, we existed off of, uh, at some points in, uh, in my young life, we existed off of some government welfare programs. Uh, my dad didn't, uh, he was a, he was an artistic guy that, that had a hard time keeping a regular job. And so my mom ended up being the primary breadwinner for the household for most of my, uh, young and, and developing life. And honestly, uh, my my grandparents who had a family farm outside of Spokane about 80 miles um, they kept us well fed because we would get meat and and baked goods and and uh, eggs and stuff like that that came off of the farm uh, so uh, despite being poor I ate pretty well because grandpa and grandma took good care of us I, I grew up in rural Wisconsin and so somewhat similar and uh, the the priority to have good food on the table is is easier to be done when yeah. when it's when it's out outside your backyard and able to yep. be gathered so that's yeah that's so true so uh you know from growing up in in that kind of an environment i barely made it into college i had to had to take some extra special tests just to get admitted into washington state university um did okay in college i was not an exceptional student at that point in my life i was into the college experience um which which meant minimize studying and maximize other outside activities. So uh, as I got into my junior year, I actually ran for, for office and that started my political career. I loved being in the political side of the university. So I ended up being in the university Senate for the last year, year and a half. Uh, and, and that's what really kind of started me on this road of really wanting to be involved in organizations as opposed to small kind of companies. I like the idea of having a bigger, bigger impact in bigger organizations. And I was sitting in my office one day uh, and in uh, at Washington State and some recruiters came in. They happened to be from 
the Folger Coffee Company, which at that time was just a subsidiary of P&G. They were looking for young leaders to uh, potentially hire, to interview and hire. So I made sure they saw all my business books on the back shelf of my office and ended up talking to them. And I, I ended up being absolutely fascinated with the idea of being in sales and being in that kind of a career. And so that's what led me into that starting point with P&G because after that first interview or two, they decided that I was uh, you know, a good candidate and they made me a job offer. So I, uh, I graduated from college June 3rd of 1973 uh, packed up my car, drove to Southern California, and started working on June seventh. Wow! And I never looked back. Wow! Wow! Let's talk about your faith. I, I since I know you personally, you're you're you. My understanding is you came to faith as an adult, and um, so first talk about that, and then we'll we'll talk later about what that meant for the way that you worked and and your work overall. But yeah, could you talk a little bit about how how you came to faith and like what time of your life that happened at? Sure, sure. So as I said, I started working when I was 21 years old, right out of school. And my parents were, um, uh, well, dad was Catholic, mom was Protestant, and they decided at an early age that they would let their young son decide what he wanted to do with faith. So when I was little, dad would go to a Catholic mass once or twice a year, and mom would take me into the Protestant church down the street a few times a year, and none of it really stuck. Um, it didn't stick all the way through college. It didn't stick in the first few years of my career. It really was not until I moved to Southern California, and I had been here just a few weeks. I was 32 years old when a neighbor who was two doors away uh, told his wife, I, I learned this story later, he, he saw the moving truck arriving, he saw I was a fairly young man, and he told his wife, he said, if they're not Christians, I'm going to lead that couple to the Lord. And it turns out that he he was a missionary pastor, and so he, he had a plan the minute he saw the moving truck. And he got to know us, introduced himself, and as he got to know us, he invited us to church. And, you know, at that time, Barb and I had just adopted our first child, Justin, who came to us from India. I had a very different feeling once we had Justin about my responsibility as a father and a leader in the household. Before that, it was just Barb and I. We were freewheeling, free-spirited, you know, young people. But all of a sudden, I had this responsibility for this cute little baby, and it it uh, it impacted me greatly. And so I uh, I took this idea of of faith and responsibility in a as a man in a household far serious more seriously than I ever imagined uh, or thought I would. And so when Dr. Sala invited us to go to church and we went, we went a couple of times and uh, we didn't understand what this idea of faith really was or how it impacted us. And so we invited him up to the house after church one day and said, we need you to explain this, this idea of faith and what is Christianity and, and what does it mean to be a Christian? And so he explained uh, what it meant to put our faith in Christ and to follow him. And that afternoon in our family room, Barb and I, um, it was May 
May 20th, 1984, we both committed our lives to Christ, and that became this journey for both of us of of living for Christ instead of ourselves or for each other, but now turning towards what can we do to live for Christ? How are we to be responsible parents and leaders in this new family that we're in? And so that was the the real the beginnings of my faith journey. Mm. Early thirties. Is that, is that right? 32, 32. 32. 32. Yeah. And that's, that's when Justin came along. And so like a lot of young Christians, um, I got really excited about this faith thing. And as I tried to dive in, I did all the studying I possibly could. I started reading the Bible all the time. I ended up going to neighborhood Bible studies. Um, when when the neighborhood Bible studies, uh, you know, they just weren't quite as deep as I wanted to go. I ended up jumping into Bible study fellowship, which, as you may know, is a five year program. Um, of weekly in-depth study, and I loved the Bible Study Fellowship Program, and that put me on a really serious path of learning to study the Bible and equipping myself to be the kind of leader I thought I should be in the Christian community. So your engagement with the faith was a little different from your parents. Yes. Um, and and I, And... What did the seriousness of your faith, not so, yeah, what did the seriousness of your faith or you, you took it really intentionally look like? You mentioned here, you know, survey, I mean, studying, studying uh, part of Bible study fellowship and joining different small groups, particularly Bible studies to learn more about the faith. Uh, can, can you go into a little bit more of, and help us understand a picture of what does a serious Christian with Ron look like? And, you know, what did that, how did that play out in just the personal aspects of your life? Sure. Well, you know where it it played out significantly in personal and in my work uh, philosophy and my leadership philosophy. On a personal side, um, what I was looking for as I went to Bible studies and I was reading the Bible and doing studying on my own was understanding what is my role as a father and as a husband in leading my family, how can I help them as the family leader develop their relationship with Christ? How can I grow up my son? And then as we adopted our daughter, Rebecca, how can I help her grow up in her faith as a committed Christian? So it significantly impacted my marriage and my leadership of the family because I was suddenly reading the Bible and going to studies and looking at it through the lens of, how can this equip me to be a better leader and father in my personal life? And I said it also impacted my business career. And, and that was probably as significant, perhaps more significant a change for me because when I started studying, I, and, and here I was now 32 years old. I had been with P&G for 11 years at this point. I had risen, uh, as I said, through several different assignments and had pretty significant responsibility even at that point. And I was thinking, how should I be as a Christian in the workplace? And, and the reason that question really hit me hard one year 
is up until then, I was I was probably not a very user friendly leader. <laughs> I have to say, I I, um, I led out of what would do me the most good. So if if I was harsh with an organization or harsh with people or demanding, it was typically to serve myself. How can I make myself look good in order to, you know, move into the next assignment or have this next opportunity? Or how can I improve my performance rating? But it was really a focused about me. And and that when I when I became a Christian, I started to question, is this the way I should be as a Christian? And then within a few months, I had my first performance review after becoming a Christian. And in those days, we had what we called 360 review from our peers. And so what we had to do is we had to send out anonymous reviews to several people that we worked with. And I didn't anticipate anything significant, but I got hit like a ton of bricks when I had my review because my boss sat me down and she said, look, your results are good, but none of the people that work with you want to work with you. They like the results, but they don't like you very much. And they don't like the way you lead very much. And I mean, that really struck me. Here I am, this new Christian, and I just got told that people don't like me and don't like working for me, don't like working around me. Even people that were around me in the organization weren't all that happy with me. Um, and so I had a lot of soul searching to do on the drive home and recognized right away that this is not the way God expects me to behave as a Christian. This is not what a godly Christian looks like. And so right from that moment, like, like turning on a light switch, I realized I had to lead and, and serve differently than I had been. So I, I made it my mission to change right from that very day on the way I thought about how I led and how I worked with others in the workplace. So the, what I started doing was thinking about instead of what can make myself look good, I started thinking about how can I make the people that work for me look good? Because what I realized was if they look good, I'll look good. If they don't look good, then I don't look good either. And honestly, I, I don't know why I didn't realize that sooner, because oftentimes P&G made promotion decisions based on how well you developed and led other people. So if you couldn't build an organization, they're not going to trust you to build a bigger organization. And I was at that stage where I really needed to be able to build and train and develop a young organization to be more effective. And that's when I realized that the way I was doing it in the past wasn't a good way to do it. And what I really needed to focus on was how can I serve these people and help them be the best they can be? And that's when I didn't know what servant leadership was then. Um, but that's ultimately what I started trying to figure out is how can I serve the people that I work with and the people that work for me in some way. So really the very first thing that I started doing that was the simplest thing in the world was I started trying to find somebody, catch them doing something well and compliment them on it. 
and make sure that they knew that I saw their success and appreciated what they were doing. And, and that made such a big difference in people's attitudes. You could just, you could see immediately how much people appreciated being appreciated, being respected, being valued. And I got such a kick out of doing it that I thought, well, I'm going to do more of this. So I'd catch somebody that doesn't even work for me at P&G and a customer, and they did something good. I'd make sure that I saw it, and I'd make sure I told them I saw how good they were doing and compliment them. That was great fun. So then I realized, well, you know, it's nice that that the employee or the person I'm working with and myself, we know about it, but it'd be better if their bosses knew about it or my bosses knew how about it. So, and mind you, this is the day before the internet, we had to hand type memos and do all that kind of stuff. So I started hand typing success memos and I'd write up stories about somebody and I would pass it on to a boss in a memo through interdepartmental mail, which, you know, overnight mail was a really big deal in those days. So I started writing memos about my salespeople and giving them by my boss. And gosh, that was so well received that again, I saw the opportunity. I said, well, you know, if that's good, why don't I start writing memos to other people's bosses when I see them doing something really worthwhile? So I started doing that. I started writing success memos to other people's bosses. And, you know, after a year of doing that at the next performance review, it was a very different story. So here I am as a young developing Christian and a year into my journey and the same boss now sits me down and says, we like your results. The results are still good. But now people are starting to like you. People are starting to enjoy working for you. It's a complete, I think she was as surprised as I was with the 360 reviews that came out a year later. Um, because it was that remarkable of a turnaround for me to be able to just really flip a switch and say, I'm not going to do it that way anymore. I'm going to find a different way to lead. And it was, it was leadership based on what I was trying to learn from the examples in scripture, from, from what I was learning in the Bible studies. And honestly, just trying different things and saying, this works. People love this serving people built the business faster and better than the old leadership style that I had. And so I never looked back and went back to that old style. I just kept trying to do more and more of serving people and helping them build their careers. And that ultimately led to my own career success. Wow, Ron, that's incredible. And how all of that really, the, the, um, the genesis of that really began in out of your faith and the realization of, 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 of seeing other people rather than just building for yourself. I think one of the challenges that people have when they think about living out their faith at work is that sometimes with, with a lot of workplaces, a lot of industries, highly competitive. And it feels like when you think about the fruits of the spirit and what should be exemplified in the life of a Christian, you know, you know they're, they're kind of like, sometimes it feels like meek or gentleness. I mean, we talk about gentleness and kindness and um, it seems the opposite of the values of what's happening in the workplace or what's even required to compete, to compete well. So having shared this experience, can you speak to that? Because there's a lot of hesitation of, and does it, can I compete as a Christian wanting to live out my faith and can I be competitive so that I can rise in ranks and take leadership roles? 
You know, I, I think it's a, a great question. And I asked myself that question many times in those early years. Can I really be successful as a leader with this approach? And honestly, it only took that first year for me to be convinced that not only could I, it was the best way to lead an organization, whether the people that worked for me or the people that I worked with were Christians or not, did not matter. What mattered was the way I treated them as a Christian. So you you mentioned the fruit of the Spirit, and the, that's uh, out of Galatians 5.22 and 3. The fruit of the Spirit uh, is love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul says, against these things, there's no law. That You know, all of us can appreciate that. And, you know, I think there's a reason that love is first in that list, because that's the most important thing. And oftentimes, we don't think about that in the business world. But honestly, if we don't love the people that we're working with, it shows if we're if we're not joyful around them, if we don't have a peaceful uh, attitude about how we're going to go to work, if we're not patient with people, if we're not kind, if we're not faithful, if we're not all of those things, it's immediately apparent. And if you're a Christian and you don't display those things, it also is immediately apparent. And that's one of the reasons I think that there are some outside of Christianity that that look at Christians and say, well, y'all are just hypocrites because you say you should behave one way, but then we see you behaving a different way. And that was always top of mind to me. And I know I've, I messed up. I, you know, I didn't behave the way I should have many times, but there's a reason that Paul is saying the fruit of the spirit is these things. That's the Holy Spirit living in us. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can really deliver on the fruit of the spirit in the first place. So I had to keep coming back to the idea that I don't have the power to be the kind of Christian I want to be, except for the power of the Holy Spirit. So I have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in and through me on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute basis. Otherwise, I won't be the kind of Christian leader that I ultimately want to be. So uh, to answer your question, I absolutely believe that it's possible to succeed if you're operating under the fruit of the Spirit. I think there's a couple of other verses that are are really important to me, and, and one of those that always struck me as important um, which I brought up to my uh, young students in in the college classes is is the Colossians passage that we should work heartily is for the Lord uh, and not for men because you're working for the Lord right Colossians three twenty three uh, so we should work with all of our strength as working for the Lord and I think well a lot of times we forget that you know we. We're so busy, caught up in the whirls and, and mechanics of getting things done that we forget that ultimately we're working for God. You know, we may be paid by somebody else, but our our real ultimate responsibility as a Christian and a witness in the marketplace is we're working for God. So if we're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit, then we're not working as though we're working for God. And I always wanted to keep that in mind, because if I ever felt like I drifted away from that idea of we're working for God, 
then we're working for the ourselves, and that's the wrong place to be. The other passage that I always tried to rely on is a Matthew 5.16 passage, which is the passage that talks about being a light unto the world. Nobody puts a basket or puts a light under a basket because it doesn't give light to the room. So you want to let your light shine forth. Well, what is the light in your life? The light in your life is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So you want to let that light shine. Why? Because the rest of that passage says, because then people will see your good works, and they'll be drawn to the Father as a result. So how can we be good emissaries as Christians in the marketplace? We have to let our light shine. How are we going to let our light shine? We're going to let our light shine by working as though working for the Lord. And that only happens if we have the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit operating in our lives. I think all those things go together to enable me personally to be a better Christian and a better leader on a day-by-day basis. Wow. Ron, thank you for that. That's great. The You just had mentioned something in terms of like motivation and working for yourself or working for God. How, how does your Christian faith in terms of your career, as you were there kind of in the middle of it, coming to faith, how does it change not only the way that you work, but also your motivations and goals? Sometimes people can think um, that because we're self-serving or self-giving or, and because we're wanting to, you know, to, to follow Christ in the workplace, then our, uh, you know, our desires to, to grow and to lead could potentially be diminished. So how, how does your faith impact your motivations and how you approach your work and really the leadership trajectory? Did you feel like it yeah. muted that or in, in fact enhanced it? It changed it. I wouldn't say it muted it, and I, I I wouldn't say anything other than ultimately my faith changed my perspective about what was really important. In those first few years of my career, it was all about moving up, having more uh, responsibility, having more money, having a bigger title, all those things that that ultimately were very self-serving, right? And, th- and that was the guiding principle in those first years of my career, as I described. Once I became a Christian and started thinking about my role and, and my faith and serving other people, my, my emphasis shifted from what was good for just me personally getting ahead to what is good for the people I work with. How can I best serve them, ultimately serving them and having them be successful and letting my light shine before others and drawing others to the Father is way more important than how high up in the organization I go. So what I realized was climbing to a certain level in the organization requires a heavier and deeper commitment to the organization, as it well should. And that was, a, that was not something I was willing to do. There was a certain point at which I said, you know what? My family deserves a certain amount of time from me. And that's when I realized, hey, 40 weeks of travel, my family is not getting a fair shake out of this deal. Um, and, and to take on any more responsibility means even more travel or more time Uh, devoted to just work and not being able to be devoted to my community, to not being able to be devoted to my family, my young growing family. 
uh, to my bride. Um, so what happened was my faith shifted the core feeling of responsibility from just what's good for me in developing myself at work to what's good for my holistic development and the development of my family and my community. My work community became more important to me than just growing my own career. A lot of what you've been sharing today really seems that you've had an incredible career that's the trajectory is really up and to the right. You know, but business is tough. And I'm sure that there's been a lot of challenges even in your work through all of those opportunities that you've had to be able to serve in and to, to work within. Uh, is there any challenges or struggles that you faced that you'd be willing to share with us today? And then in, in facing those, what did your, you know, what did, what was it like having your faith lead you through that? I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, sure. Um, I was uh, honestly incredibly blessed with, my career at P&G of having some of the best bosses I could ever imagine, but not a hundred percent. There were a couple of folks over those 36 years that, that provided a challenge to me. Um, one before I became a Christian and one after. So if you'll allow, I'll tell you both stories. The first story before I became a Christian was when I was on one of the assignments in Portland and I was responsible for Oregon, Idaho, Montana, and half of Washington. And my boss lived in Seattle. And um, uh, he, this is again, before I became a Christian, he, he, um, he liked to skirt the edge of company policy on a regular basis. And he had his favorites in the organization and he would do anything and everything he could to advance his favorites and to put down the careers of anybody that wasn't his favorite. So I had an employee who was a longtime salesperson. He was, he was really good at what he did, but he was in a perfect job for him right? He wasn't going to go anywhere. He didn't want to go anywhere. He just wanted to be as good as he could be right where he was. My boss didn't like him for one reason or another, and he wanted me to fire him. He wanted me to find a way to fire him. He had me audit his books. He had me audit it down to his stamps and said, find a way to fire him. Well, I complied with the audit, but as I knew, Jerry came up, I mean, he was just perfect. I mean, there was nothing wrong with his organization. All his stamps were accounted for. I went back to my boss and said, I am not going to fire this guy. There is nothing wrong with him. And all it ended up being was he wanted me to fire him so that he could make room for a young person that he liked and he wanted to move into that role. So I stood up to him on that decision and he didn't like that at all. So then I was one of the people he didn't like and he started trying to find a way to fire me. And ultimately he made my life a living hell for about a year and then ended up doing a performance review where he he literally brought a briefcase of stuff with papers with red marks over every, you know, he's like, you know, I told you to call into the office at 10 o'clock and you didn't call until 10 after 10. And I mean, he was down to that kind of minutia and he was looking for a way to fire me. And he says, if you don't quit, I'm going to find a way to fire you. Well, I was kind of in a panic mode at that time and, and uh, none too happy about all that. And, and so then he was, he was coming down for another trip 
and he was supposed to meet me in the morning and he hadn't let me and again this is before cell phones and stuff so i call the hotel he's staying at and he's not there and i'm like well i wonder if uh you know the trip changed or something so i call the office the secretary says no he's not here either he's he must be on his way well he didn't show up the whole night so i called his home and his wife answers and said oh no he's on his way down to portland well, it turns out that he wasn't on his way down to Portland. He was on his way to his girlfriend's house. And my inadvertent phone calls tipped his wife off to something that was going on. So when he got home, he was in even more trouble and hated me even more. So he was really determined to fire me now because his marriage was on the rocks. And he blamed me for all that going on. So ultimately, I let a few folks at PNG know that, hey, I, I'm in trouble. I'm looking for uh, a, a life raft here. And, and ultimately, one of my old bosses rose to the equation. He heard what was going on, and he came out, and he had a private dinner with me, and he let me know what going on, and he asked me what had been happening. And he says, look, he says, don't worry. I will take care of you. I will find you a job. You've done a good job. You did a good job for me before. And he says, I'll take care of you. So ultimately that's, I look back at it now and I see that as God's intervention in my life, because that's what brought me to Southern California at a time that I needed to be here. It put me in a neighborhood, two houses away from the guy that ultimately led my wife and I to the Lord and put, our life and our family's life on a completely different trajectory. So I look back at that now and I say that was living hell and it was for a year to a year and a half, but it ultimately was God's hand in leading and changing my life in a way that I never could have imagined. And I'm so thankful now that looking back at it, that those things happen because if they hadn't happened, I can't imagine where I would have ended up in my life or in my career. So that was the first thing uh, before I became a Christian, and I didn't see the benefit in it until later, many years later. Now, rolling forward a number of years, having been a Christian, again, working for a boss who liked to take some shortcuts and wanted me to take some shortcuts as well. And I said, we're not gonna do this. My organization is not gonna do this. And again, I stood up to him. But this time, I didn't have any angst about doing it. I'm like, I am doing what is right for the company. I am representing my faith well because I'm operating in, in an area that I was being honest. I was operating in integrity. And I wasn't going to compromise my values to do what he wanted to do. Ultimately, the company found out what he was asking me to do. And they dropped him down a couple of levels and took him out of the leadership role that he was in. And I was given opportunities after that with the organization, again, just because I stood up for what I thought was right. What, what in my faith journey, I said, I need to operate with integrity. I need to operate honestly. And you know what, if that, if that hurts me, I don't care. I have to do it because my faith demands it. 
and I'm going to be happy no matter what happens. And ultimately, again, God's hand was on me. And, um, you know, I had great opportunities coming out of that situation because the leaders saw what was going on and they knew that I was operating out of a, a position of, of honesty and integrity. And they appreciated that. That's a great story. That really takes an element of courage because it's not a guarantee that the organization would back you in that or that the organization would believe you or value that. For people that are facing something similar, you know, what kind of advice would you give them in terms of standing firm on the convictions that they have uh, in their Christian faith when they have a livelihood to, to, to hold on to? And it can be oftentimes daunting to, to stand firm on those those convictions of integrity or, um, or whatever, whatever the conviction may be that is required in that moment. What would you yeah. say to them? Yeah. I, you know, I, I look back at it now and I honestly think it, it was a measure measure of courage to be able to stand for my faith. But at the same time, I didn't have any angst. I wasn't worried. I just felt like this is the right thing to do. For me as a Christian to stand for what is the right thing to do was more important than worrying about what fallout might come for having done the right thing. So for for somebody in a similar situation, a young person or or, or no matter how old, uh, if you're if you're facing that kind of a crisis situation, um, I think you have to be prepared to stand for your faith. One of the things that I did, I think that helped me early on. Um, in my Christian walk is I wrote a personal values statement. This was a statement of how am I going to live in my work life? How am I going to live in my personal life? What are the personal values that I ascribe to? So having written that personal values statement, I knew what I believed in and what I was going to stand for. And I think if you know that ahead of time, it's a lot easier to, to step back and say, this is my faith belief, and I'm not going to compromise these values. I'm not going to compromise my integrity. I'm not going to be dishonest. These are the values that I'm going to hold true to no matter what. And if you've made that decision, you don't worry about anything else because, again, God's in control. And I had seen God save me in so many different times in my career that I really didn't ever have to worry about is he going to be there for me? Because no matter what, all things work together for good for those who believe in him. And I believe. And all things always did, even if I didn't see it at first, work together for good. I would say to a, to a person facing a crisis, develop your personal value statement. Know what you believe in. Is it honesty? Is it integrity? What what fruit of the Spirit is going to guide your life? Because if you establish that firmly in your life now, before you get involved in a crisis, it'll be with you when you're in the crisis. So I would say the first and foremost thing I would do is say, develop your own value statement, know what you believe in, and be prepared to stand by it. That's great. Do you feel like there's, there's value in actually it sounds like there's value in actually writing it out instead of just knowing it generally in your mind. I, I believe it absolutely is. In fact, uh, a few years ago at PNG, we had 
a different version of the workplace ministry and we would have monthly meetings and and one of those meetings i actually did training on how to write your personal value statement so i took a room full of people through here's how i did it here's how you can do it we took it step by step here are the things you can do to write a personal value statement they walked out of the room with their own statement probably 90% done and none of them walked into the room with it. And that kind of surprised me because this is a Christian audience. These are Christian businessmen and women who had been in the marketplace for a number of years and not one of them had thought about what will I do when I face a crisis? What are my values? Until we all sat down that one evening and said, let's script it out. Let's write it down. Because if you write it down, it'll be deeper embedded in your mind. It's something you can pull out and you can reread. And you can, you know, it's it's an important thing to do when you're leading an organization too. Because later on, as I took on different assignments, one of the things I would do is I would pull out that personal values statement and I would share it with the organization and say, you can hold me accountable. This is what I believe. This is how I want to behave. And if I'm not doing this, I'm violating my own personal standards. I want you to hold me accountable for it. I want you to call me out on it. Feel free to call me out on it. And I think if you've done that, you've got an opportunity to share your personal values with an organization. That helps you as well. You know, it helps hold you accountable to yourself if you've already shared it with others and said, you're free to hold me accountable to this. This is my personal value statement. Like literally to your that your superiors and the people that you reported to, you give them that document that said, this is who I am and this is what I want to live by. That's not, not only to the people that I worked for, but the people I worked with and the people that worked for me had... It, at least some version of my personal value statement so they'd know where I'm coming from and, and why I lead the way I lead. And what a great intro also in trying to express your Christian faith in that. Not that you have to be explicit in, uh, in, in that statement that I'm a Christian and thereby want to live by these types of values, but just, just by being intentional and thinking about how you live and when they read aspects of Fruits of the Spirit or just biblical principles they will see that you you lead in a different way. Yeah, and of course, there's Bible verses behind every one of the values that I subscribe, subscribe to, but in my personal value statement inside the corporate world, they don't see that unless I'm dealing with a group of Christians in the workplace. But if I'm working with the people that work for me or I'm dealing with my bosses, I give them the personal value statement that shows what I believe in, but ultimately underneath that, it's all being led by biblical principles and, and what I believe is what God would want me to do. You, you shared a lot on what your faith in the workplace looked like. Do you have any advice for people at work that are wanting to begin living, bringing their full self to work, wanting to, to be intentional on, um, on, yeah, living their faith out there in their workplace. Personal value statement is one of them. Any other thing that you would you would advise or, or recommend for people trying to do that? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I, I love the title of the podcast because it's Weekend to Workplace. And a, a lot of Christians that I've talked to think about how do I live as a Christian in my family? And th that primarily resolve, revolves around 
how do I act over the weekend and how do I act in the evenings with my family? But surprisingly, there's a lot of Christians that I've chatted with that, that don't have as strong a connection with, well, biblical principles apply to my workplace too. And that's why I love the title of Weekend to Workplace, because I think, you know, there's this thing in the workplace of, of take your daughter to work or take your, your child to work, right? I think about it as take your father, your holy father to work. Your holy father's with you all the time. He's in the workplace with you every minute you're in the workplace. He sees and hears everything that, that we're confronted with. And he looks to see how we respond to everything that we're dealing with in the workplace. So how do I let my light shine before others and draw people to the Father? It's by behaving through the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. So that's a reminder to me that my faith is not Friday night to Saturday night. It's seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And my faith needs to go into the workplace. Look, I oftentimes say pastor has an hour, maybe depending on the pastor, an hour and a half. And he preaches to people that honestly are mostly in the boat. They're mostly already Christians who at some level or another ascribe to the values that he's preaching. But you and I, when we're in the workplace, we're there 40, 50, or 60 hours a week. And honestly, most of the people that we're surrounded by are not other Christians. So we have an opportunity to impact the kingdom in a way that that really our pastor does not. Our pastor is not in an environment that is mostly uh, unchristian. So we are. We're in a workplace where we have an opportunity to let our face shine before a non-Christian audience 40, 50, or 60 hours a week. And to me, that's the greatest opportunity we have in our faith is our opportunity to show what being a Christian, being a member of God's kingdom is really like, how our life can be different and how our different life can draw other people into the family of God. We have that opportunity all these hours of every workday. And if we don't recognize that and leverage that opportunity, we're missing out on a huge part of our faith walk, which is to be representative of God's kingdom to the world. And here we have that opportunity in the workplace all the time. And sadly, there's too many believers that don't recognize the power of that opportunity. And so a lot of what I try to do today is help other Christians recognize and leverage the power that they have in the workplace to reflect their faith and their light to other Christians in the workplace or to other believers in the workplace. Ron, that's so good. And I think that's real encouragement to, to, to many of us that are, that are wanting that take our faith seriously. And yet at the same time, want to, um, yeah, to, to, that are also very passionate about our careers and, in fact, that might be the very place that God uh, not only wants us to be, but has is our place of ministry and the place that we can serve and be the pastor of of our workplace for the people that are in need to be able to approach our work in a way that is servant minded and servant in a servant leadership way, modeling what Christ has done. The King of the Universe, the one that put all things into being, came here to not to be served but to serve, and yet in that same authority and same um, characteristic of of having 
power of the most high within us through his spirit that we would take that posture of a, of a servant and the type of transformation that could happen in our workplaces as a result by being Christ's ambassador there. Ron, it's been you have so many great things to share. Uh, this has really been really a pleasure and really a joy. Uh, the insights that I've gained personally, the new things that I've learned personally, but also I think <laughs> many people listening in on this too will, will just have benefited greatly. Thanks so much for being a part of today. Really, really great uh, to be here with you. Oh, Mark, thank you. Again, I, I'm honored to be part of the podcast. I'm honored to share my story. If it if it helps a person or two, then it's the best time spent is to, to be able to share and hopefully uh, help other people recognize the opportunity they have to take their faith into the workplace. If, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you or just to, to check the things out that you are continually um, producing or engaged in, what's the best way to do so? Uh, best way to find me is on my website at ronkelleher.com. Uh, you'll also find me on LinkedIn. You'll find me on uh, Facebook uh, under Inspired Leadership. Uh, but I, I happily have a podcast, so you can also fire the, find the Inspired Leadership podcast on any of the uh, major services. So I'm out there just about everywhere I can uh, the, toot, toot the message of the kingdom. So, uh, you know, ronkelleher.com is one place. I also have, uh, if you're into Bible studies, uh, I have a website called BibleStudyDaily.org. Uh, and that's where uh, people will find a lot of Bible studies that they can do on an individual basis. And a few weeks ago, um, I started another website called Worklife. BibleStudy.org, and that has over 100 courses that are designed for Bible study for small groups in the workplace. So if you're in a small group in a workplace and you're looking for material to, to lead a Bible study, head on over to WorklifeBibleStudy.org. All the resources on all my sites are free. It's part of my ministry to the kingdom. Wow. Thank you for that. Ron, again, a pleasure. Thanks so much for being a part of this first season with us. Um, it's a, it's a, it's been a, it's been a, a great conversation with you. Ah, oh, thanks, Mark. Man, wasn't that an encouraging conversation? If you were inspired or you gained any insight from Ron's story today, I'd encourage you to be a part of this Weekend to Workplace podcast community. You can begin doing so by subscribing or following to the podcast. Give us a five star rating and leave us a review of how these stories have begun to leave a, a positive impression on your life. It'd be an encouragement to me to see those stories. And I know for the people that help put this podcast together, it'd be an encouragement to them as well. And we're just getting started. We're just a, a couple episodes in here on season one. And I'd love for your feedback. I'd love for you to contribute into this, this program as well. If you have you know questions that you think I should be asking people, or you have topics that, that really should be addressed or brought up, if you have individuals that you know in your circle of friends that really should be on this show uh, and you would like to introduce them to me, please let me know. You can write to me at workplace at saddleback.com. That's workplace at saddleback.com. Email me there and I'd love to hear uh, what you have to say. Now, this podcast really is about helping us have a bigger vision for our work. Really, uh, you know, God is on the move in the places that we work at and maybe, just maybe, he wants to, to partner with us, to use us to serve his purposes there where we, where we work and where we spend so much of our day and find so much passion and enjoyment for the things that we do. 
So I encourage you to join me in this journey as we continue these conversations on what it means to live God's purposes in our work, in our greater faith in what we do. I welcome you and look forward to the conversations to come. Have a great week.